Change happens. How we respond to change can make or break us and our careers. Join us for an intimate insight into how senior business leaders face change, the good, the bad, and everything in between. Because whether we like it or not, change happens. This podcast series, Change Happens, is a conversation with senior business leaders on leading through change and the lessons learned along the way. When we set out creating a podcast about how we cope, deal, and work through change, we didn't expect it to be amid the biggest worldwide change in modern history, COVID-19. Now, COVID-19 has resulted in a whole of population quickly pivoting to remote working and following social distancing norms in the new normal. Those businesses that had good technology that staff were used to using remotely were able to quickly pivot and ensure speed and productivity were not impacted to the same extent by these sudden changes. And as we've moved through the last few months, many employers are seeing benefits in their workforces being able to work flexibly, leading to the question, what will the return to the office look like in a post-COVID-19 world? With the right technology, many naysayers are now on board that you can really do your job from anywhere. With that context in mind, I invited Managing Director of Microsoft Australia, Stephen Worrell, to join me. Now, when you think of Microsoft, maybe you think about a Word document, maybe you think about PowerPoint, maybe you think about Microsoft Teams. Steve's all about working collectively and addressing the inequities of society. And he definitely sees tech plus an empathetic approach led by true listening as the key to enabling that. He opens up about some personal experiences he faced and how they've informed the kind of person he is and the kind of leader that he continues to be. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the Change Happens podcast. How, how are you going during this time? I'm going very well, Janelle. It's great to, uh, to join you and thanks for the invitation. Oh, my pleasure. I feel like asking you the question, how are you going during this time, can be quite a loaded question. So let's start with, you know, the situation we find ourselves in with COVID-19. We've all had to face into social distancing. You and I aren't in the same room as a result of that. Um, you know, and I think one of the things with social distancing is that we have had to change the way that we embrace technology, certainly to keep connected with others personally and professionally. How have you seen this playing out? And has there been things that you've seen that's surprised you? Uh, for sure. I, I think as a member of the, the tech industry, I've, I've been privileged to be in a front row seat, if you like, because a lot of what we've seen over the last little while has been a more rapid adoption of technology to facilitate working from home, uh, to help teams continue to do the work that they're doing. And in many cases with first responders and hospitals and others to, to keep critical services um, operating to support the community. So uh, for many organisations across just about every part of the Australian economy, people realising that technology can play an increasingly important role. And then I think on a, on a personal side, I think that, you know, we've all been impacted very directly by the stories around us in our community and, and clearly also around the world. Amongst all of the, the bad news of, of the pandemic and the impacts that it has had and the, the tragic consequences, there's also been this sense that people are, are being drawn together in a way mm. that um, I think we've all we've all noticed both at work and um you know, personal lives. And, and for that, I think we can all be thankful because there are some, some things there that we want to hold on to afterwards as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's something that's in almost a rallying war cry here when we find ourselves in a situation of adversity and, and change that we're, we're all in. So I totally agree with you. You've certainly got a reputation for being one who gets out a lot to see your broader team in all the offices. How are you managing to sustain a very personal connection with your employees during this time and how well are you finding that online connection serving you? 
Yeah, again, because we're coming out of the tech industry, we're we're very fortunate because a lot of the work from home technologies and the way of of working remotely is something that's been part and parcel of you know the experience at Microsoft. Many businesses, more more broadly for that matter, uh, you know, the idea that work is a thing you do, not a place that you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, with that said, we've acknowledged the the fact that we're not in the office any any longer, and that personal contact isn't there. So. Like many clients and partners that we work with, we're having more frequent engagement with each other, so more regular team meetings. What's been interesting, maybe back to your first question, we're seeing higher levels of engagement in many mm. of those one than we would have seen in the you know, pre-pandemic world, which which is a really interesting reflection of how technology can facilitate connection, but also that human need at the moment that we, we see all around us for more connection with each other. And, you know, technology has a role to play there. I think it does. You know, it's interesting around the level of uh, engagement that it's facilitating, the um, conscious um, checking in that people are doing, as you say, Mm. more and more of those meetings. What what are your thoughts around the extent to which this becomes a new normal? I can see why we're all doing it consciously now. It's sort of front of our minds and we're really consciously doing that. But as we move back into some kind of normal, and I say that in inverted commas, do you think we're still going to be sustaining that kind of level of diligence in checking in and frequency of contact? I hope so. I also think that what we will realise is that whether it's client engagements or getting out and seeing partners um, or then just the reality of managing a business around the country where you feel like you need to be in different locations to to connect with your team, I think what we've all learned through this period is that the, the technology and connecting more frequently using the technology can be really, really effective mm. in, in making people feel a part of the team and that they're up to speed and that they're part of that community. There's lots of lessons out of out of this for us in regards to using the technology more often, which is, you know, as a, as a business that uses it all the time, you know, we've found ways in which we could do things better. It strikes me there's an incredible opportunity in here for all of us, but I'm thinking from, from your perspective as somebody who leads an organisation that sells technology where in the past you might have had to really sell the need and the opportunity that technology can afford. Now the world is seeing it uh, or businesses, you know, across industries are seeing it. If you don't need to spend as much time selling the idea of the virtue of it, do you think that this opens up new possibilities for you and for your organisation and the tech industry at large to go to places that might have been off the table because you had to kind of convince of the need in the first place? Without a doubt. A lot of what we've seen in the last couple of months has been the adoption, rapid adoption of some basic technology that allows you to work from home, whether that's video conference, um, you know, audio, chat, sharing files and the like. That's pretty foundational. But to be fair, many organisations across Australia weren't doing that well and have rapidly moved to that environment. That's important because it gives you the, the, the platform or the framework on which you can then do things that really do have high consequence and have big impact in your business, uh, where you can start um, sharing ideas more rapidly around team members in different parts of the, of the country where you insisted on everyone flying into your location. And, you know, as a tech business, we, we still clearly value um, face-to-face interaction. That will never change. Mm. But the assumption that we might have made in the past that, that it was essential for us to do that, uh, you know, around the country and with particular communities, when we've looked back now and we go, we look at our diary and, and look at a calendar, for argument's sake, of a year's activities, there's plenty of things there that we will, in the post-COVID world, um, uh, replace with a digital version because 
we know it will give us a better outcome and we'll broader create a better, reach. Yeah. Yeah. So if that's our experience, I'm I'm certain that's going to be a similar experience for our, our customers and partners across the country. Now, well, speaking of your customers and partners, you're you're responsible for the overall business in Australia and you've got an 11,000 partner network and individual software vendors that sell or build on a Microsoft platform. Based on the breadth of interactions that you have across the business community, what are you seeing in the way of business leadership during this time and what are you seeing that leaders can be doing to safeguard and foster talent during this crisis? Well, it's, it's I mean, the first thought is it's as important um, uh, or more important perhaps now than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in any, any business, talent is the, the, the first, the second, the third and the fourth priority, if you will, on, on the list of things you need to get right. So, uh, and, and so I think every business leader is is aware of of, of that challenge in their in their context. I, I think in today's environment, then it's it's even more important in in terms of connection. And again, whether that's a digital connection or a, or a, or a, a, some socially distant in person connection, they are uh, more important today than ever. And perhaps Janelle, it's 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 back to a very basic concept around leadership. That you know, during a period of uncertainty, when the world feels like it's being reordered literally in front of your eyes, and you open a newspaper or you, you watch the news services at night, you wonder you know where things are heading, and especially now with some of the more recent developments oh. in the United States. Yep. Having great leadership or having a focus on leadership really differentiates how well any business gets through a period of disruption, and so that's a direct reflection of the talent you have in your organization and you know very obviously a, a massive focus for every business and, and as I said most particularly right now. And how have you been getting that kind of appreciation of the diversity and the different segmentations in your business? You know, I mean you've got one voice to the to your organization. How do you make sure that it it resonates across so many different employee types and circumstances and preferences and experiences? So this is something that I'm always thinking about because I'm, I'm certain that we don't always get it right. Uh, I don't get it right all the time and I'm sure you know, my leadership team, we don't get it right all the time. We, we've used a variety of techniques. Um, I mentioned earlier that we have weekly calls with our, our people leaders across the across the country. Um, the, you know, the most important relationship in our, in our business is the one between every employee and their manager. Mm. And so quite obviously that that's an important uh, communication channel if you like and we get together not not just for me to share information but importantly for me and the leadership team to hear what's on the minds of, of our teams across the uh, across the country uh, obviously the all hands calls that we have and, and the forum that we set up because they're not just calls there there's um, an ongoing electronic um, communication through our notice boards and online chat and, and the like through the platforms that we use mm-hmm. that allow us to have a, an ongoing dialogue with teams about what, what their experience is day to day. And then there's a, a variety of other listening techniques that we use, whether they're um, surveys and polls and the like, but other techniques that um, we have over-indexed on during this period to, to simply ensure that we listening clearly, understanding what's happening um, in, in our teams and around the community. And then uh, using that input, obviously, to respond in an appropriate and empathetic way. Uh, that's fantastic. And it's it's so great to hear your level of, I guess, consciousness and, and awareness and sensitivity to that. It's great. Um, we've been talking about 
the future of work, Steve, for years, uh, many of us have, uh, about, you know, um, the shifting drivers around the impact that technology like AI and automation has on the nature of work, the impact on workers, the implications for workplaces. It feels like overnight, as we've been talking about as a result of COVID-19, we've seen that future of work. And I, I am putting inverted commas around that now because it's, it's really a lived reality for us now. I'm wondering what you think might be, we might be able to do now in that frame of work, worker, workplace that we might not have otherwise been able to do, at least not for a number of years time. Is there anything that sort of comes to mind for you as the opportunity to seize? Uh, what does the future look like? I, th- I think it's, as I was saying earlier, I think we've now got this appreciation of, of how uh, the infrastructure, the digital framework and digital platform on which now businesses, um, communities can come together in all sorts of new ways. Mm. Uh, I, I think we're about to see an explosion and a proliferation of, of, of ideas in businesses, in, in the arts, in, in, in social contexts, how we get together with our friends, that will use some of those basic technologies um, to extend and enrich our, our lives. At the same time, of course, the, the risk is that those benefits will not be shared evenly. And, and I think one of the, the big areas of focus for us all as a society here in, in Australia in particular is how do we use this moment to ensure we, we level the playing field and we address the many inequities that still exist across our society and our community that have been laid bare through the pandemic. And and I think that's a, a massive um, opportunity for us as a, as a country. Mm, opportunity and also obligation, I think, uh, as a society. Certainly one of the things that I've realised, you know, in speaking with you, Steve, over the last you know, year or so is that, um, interestingly, for me anyway, you seem to be far less interested in talking about technology in and of itself. And what I found with you is that you're much more interested in talking about what technology allows us to solve when it comes to those societal problems or business problems. Um, so to that end, I know that you know Microsoft has been involved in fascinating partnerships and the technology has been used as a platform to solve some really critical issues. So at the risk of asking you a question which might be akin to, you know, can you pick your favourite child, what are some of the initiatives that you feel most excited about that you're involved with? There's, well, there are many, but the ones that spring to mind relate to some very simple uses of technology that can have profound impacts. Um, one is a little application we've been working on with the New South Wales government to help reduce homelessness in, in the CBD. Mm-hmm. Uh, homelessness is a, an affliction in our country, as it is in many countries around the world. And yet, in many cases, it's just the absence of joined up systems to connect service providers with, uh, with those who are either living sleeping rough or those who are uh, living in, in, uh, on, a, on a friend's couch or are living in circumstances where they're not they don't feel safe to go home, so they're then forced to go and seek shelter elsewhere. Um, and this application we built with the New South Wales government um, is just a very small example of when you join up systems and you connect service providers, it's, it's actually amazing the outcomes you can achieve in helping people rapidly connect with the relevant services in our community that are there to, to do just that, to, to take them off the streets and to provide them with the social services that are so so essential. And so... You know, that's a small but, but impactful example that we're, uh, we're working on. We, we work also with um, crisis support organisations and not surprisingly, you know, these organisations uh, lag in their use of technology um, and in many cases still depend on the telephone, which was great technology back in 1960 or 1970. <laughs> but in, in today's digital world, 
for for crisis support services, you need to have uh, a communication, a digital platform that that connects with our community where where they want to be connected, and that's social media. It's it's all forms of digital communication. And so we're working with uh, a range of crisis support services to help help improve the quality of their use of technology so that um, the important work that they do all day, every day, mm. is focused where it really matters, which is helping people and, and not on you know, trying to work out how to, uh, how, to, how to facilitate that connection in the first place. Well, I know that, I mean, there's just a range of things there. I mean, those those issues are, are profound. You also have a partnership with Jowan where you collabor- collaborate with local Indigenous leaders. Um, I'm interested to find out more about that and, and how you balance respect, timing and the way you approach Indigenous communities so as to make sure you're not intrusive but offer genuine support in areas of need. Well, Jowan, first of all, is a wonderful organisation. There are many people who are listening to this podcast whose organisations are, are members of Jowan. We joined just a couple of years ago and been uh, taking our first steps in our journey to, to contribute towards the process of reconciliation in the country. Um, what, what I've learned over the last couple of years is that this issue is far more complex than mm. um, it's, I, I had the privilege to go to Cape York and spend a couple of days in, in the communities um, in Cape York and the, the range of, of issues um, related to health, uh, housing, um, uh, obviously just, just employment uh, and many other other issues that interrelate with the Indigenous experience in remote communities were far more complex than I had ever appreciated. Mm. Uh, and yet I think, um, Janelle, that technology is intersecting with the world that we live in in such a way today that it's hard to hard to imagine that uh, technology can't or won't play an increasing role in future. And as it relates to Indigenous affairs, when you think about inequities in terms of education or, or health or incarceration rates, th- there, there are a multitude of ways in which, uh, again, perhaps just through connecting government services more effectively, perhaps simply through connecting communities more effectively mm-hmm. and providing information, that we can help to or start to um, make more progress in addressing some of the issues that Government, to be fair, has worked worked very hard at, and 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 this has been an issue that obviously has been um, uh, has been worked on for over many many decades. Um, and we we at Microsoft believe that technology can be a facilitator, and through whatever small contribution that we can make, we we intend to to do just that. So, Steve, I mean, look, there's some pretty profound areas. We were talking about homelessness or Indigenous um, communities and the challenges they face. Have you? I know that you're working heavily in a remote context now, um, but have you had a chance to connect with some of the on-the-ground outcomes, whether it's uh, at the homelessness of a front or in, in Indigenous communities? Have you got any of those real-life experiences that you've managed to um, experience? With the first phase of the homelessness app that we've worked on with the New South Wales government, uh, we participated in a survey of uh, those sleeping rough in in the CBD and through that that, uh, first two-day process of collating information and connecting um, uh, those sleeping rough, we were able to take seven people off off the streets of Sydney that Uh uh, day period. And so that, that was a really powerful example of mm. how technology, uh, through simply connecting systems and service providers, was able to identify the right service provider for those individuals. Um, in terms of the Indigenous work, we've, we've had, as a consequence of the visit to uh, Cape York, 
we organised a, a session in Sydney where we brought Indigenous women from around the country, uh, 33 of them, to, to come into the city to participate in a, in a week's immersion in technology. Right. With the intent of passing on skills that they could then take back to their communities to help with the formation of either new businesses or in local community projects that involved technology. And what, what we found through that, that experience was the power of seeding uh, some of the these are basic skills, but very rapidly we found people um, from the Indigenous communities pick, picked up the skills that they thought, felt were most relevant for the community efforts that they were involved in and were able to take those skills back and a network of people from the Microsoft team and some of our partners that could be enlisted in helping them to then further some of those projects. So I think in that case that, that really reinforced for us the one of the big themes for us as a country, which is this idea of, of skilling and how mm. we invest in, um, in ourselves so that as our economy is reshaped through this period that we uh, help, help our, our workforce to pick up the new skills that are going to be so essential for whatever the future of Australia's economy looks like. Well, let's just stay on that. I know you've been really candid about the need to champion the reskilling of workforce um, and equipping people to succeed in the digital age. Talk about we have a role here to, to help our people do that. What what does that look like? What can that help look like from governments or businesses? I think it's it's a combination quite, quite clearly. I think the, the, there's a, I've spoken about this before, I think there's a real need for industry and government to collaborate more directly here not only in terms of funding that's so essential to help uh, the workforce pivot and to reskill, but also through um, industry helping government to understand exactly where those future roles are likely to occur. There's a, a tighter collaboration needed. It's awesome to see some of the announcements most recently from the government in relation to investing in, in skills programs at Microsoft, and there are others in the IT industry and, and broader industries are also pursuing significant investments that will help leverage some of the assets that we bring to the table. We have an organisation called LinkedIn that many will have heard of. Uh, provides a, a wonderful array of data about the state of the workplace today, but importantly also where we're seeing demand in terms of new jobs being created and the skills that are necessary to fill those jobs. Our next major skills announcement where we want to bring that data to bear to help Australia and for that matter many countries around the world pilot a way towards that, that future. And so I, I don't, I'll stress, I don't think it's any one organisation's, um, it's going to be solved by any one organisation and I I think this need for collaboration between industry and all participants with government is more essential today than, than ever. I want to turn to purpose, Steve. I know the purpose statement for Microsoft, which has been set at the global level, is to empower every person and every organisation on the planet to achieve more. Um, I think it's a, an inspiring and aspirational light to be sitting on the hill. And I think you've given some really great examples there of how, you know, you're bringing that to life um, within your organisation in Australia. I'm interested in how that really grand and important purpose resonates and aligns with your personal purpose. How, how, do you, how do you speak about your personal purpose in the context of Microsoft's? I think my, my personal purpose is, is perhaps most Australian of all, which is um, we, we have a sense of collectivism in Australia and a, and a sense of mateship and, and a sense of uh, being in this all together. Uh, we've seen it again through the uh, pandemic that we notwithstanding the, you know, the many political debates that might be going on uh, and the different, different groups and voices in the community, in times of um, stress or pressure, we, we, we come together well. And so my, 
my personal purpose working here at Microsoft aligns very directly with this idea that I, I have the privilege of leading this wonderful organisation in Australia, but I want to make sure we use it to address those imbalances and the equities that might exist in our communities. And, and perhaps going back to the earlier theme about this moment where technology is now intersecting with business and life in, in, in ways that we've not seen in the past, it promises to provide a lot of the assistance and to fill in a lot of the gaps that might exist in how we address the homelessness issues across the country or how we address inequities in regards to our Indigenous community mm. or how we help um, crisis support centres provide a more effective service by connecting with people on the platforms that they, they want to interact on. I, I think, as I say, very fortunate because our CEO, Satya, has made it clear to all of us that rather than us see as though we, we work for the company, Satya has famously flipped that around to say, well, imagine that Microsoft works for you. Mm. What, what would you do with the company if it did work for you and how would you direct this business and this platform to achieve things that really matter? That's been, um, I think, one of, one of the greatest um, satisfactions in having, having this role over the last couple of years and continuing to perform in it is that, that I have the opportunity to direct some of our activities to the areas where I feel we can have that, that impact. Mm, it's a beautiful spin, actually, and it makes it much more of a servant leader kind of mentality that comes into the organisation. I love that. I want to talk about your personal experience with change. As you know, this podcast is called Change Happens. Um, and what we know is that often it's a result of personal and professional changes that may well happen by circumstance, it may be by design, that we see some really important growth opportunities and, and formative lessons for ourselves. So as, as you consider some of those moments of change in your life, I'm wondering, can, can you share a couple of moments that perhaps come to mind for you um, and the kind of experience of change that you've had that has a defining uh, role in who you are and, and how you operate today? I joined Microsoft uh, six years ago and um, had spent many years at another tech business prior to joining. And so there was a period of great change, mm. cultural uh, change, if you will, going from one, one organisation to another. Um, but then uh, also dealing with uh, a very personal event in my life, which was uh, with my father dealing with a serious serious health uh, issues that ultimately ended in him passing away mm -hmm. a couple of years later. Uh, and so uh, my mind goes to that because it, that, that experience um, at the time was perhaps one of the was a combination of the most challenging personal and professional um, set, set of experiences and challenges that I that I'd had and. Uh, it also, I, th I think, I hope, has made me more empathetic to the reality that um, every, and it may goes back to what we were talking about earlier with being connected with our teams. There are so many things that could be going on in anyone's life related to their Never parents. know what happens behind closed doors and what people are dealing with in life. Absolutely. And so as simple as that sounds and as obvious as that sounds, the um, impact on, on me dur during that period and uh, my family and, and how we managed our way through that and how I tried to show up in a professional context during what was a really, really tough time. One of the lessons I learned th through that was um, always being incredibly mindful of what is going on in uh, other people's lives because that can be very informative quite obviously in regards to some of the signals that you might otherwise be receiving and, and certainly helps you as a, as a leader I think to be a bit more attuned to um, how to adapt your leadership and how to best provide what that person or that team or that organisation might need at that time. 
Mm. I know that there's clearly lessons about how you might lead through that, but I wonder about you yourself as a human navigating those difficult times. Um, What did you learn about you in there as you tried to sort of balance the home front, the work front, and that you now take forward with you um, in in just navigating the day-to-day complexities of life? There were many, but the the one that comes to mind is one I'm not not proud of, but I uh, learned very clearly how selfish my reactions were to the circumstances that I was confronted with. And and so um, what I mean by that is there were many demands at that time related to starting a new job, uh, being a parent, having my own family and the demands associated with family, uh, but then also helping uh, my father who, who had said to my brother and I one day uh, as he was dealing with his terminal illness, mm. I'd, I'd like to, to die at home, which is a simple simple request that uh, I expect, again, many people listening to this podcast may have, uh, a conversation they may have had with um, mm. a friend or, or family member themselves. And and that, that simple request and then the implications of that that followed over the next 18 months were profound. So... I think my reactions through the period, Janelle, were, were, were selfish in that I was um, confronted by a range of demands that I, I couldn't meet um, and I, I was um, failing in different aspects of my responsibilities and then feeling as though I had been unfairly put in you know, a position where some of those demands were being made of me, whether it was related to the family situation or at work. And and so um, the, these are the challenges that come along in anyone's life, and this is the most normal of stories. I, I think it just helped me to build a little bit more um, empathy and understanding and, and awareness of uh, the challenges that, that many of my team are facing right now. And so I hope I bring that to work each day. And I must say, Steve, the thing that sort of struck me when, when you were talking about this was I guess how hard you were on yourself um, during that period of time. I know you talked about um, speaking to the then CEO, Pip Marlowe, about feeling like there was a lot on top of you and I think she came back to you and said, you're actually doing a really good job. So it felt to me that perhaps one of those learnings is being a little kinder to yourself as well as you navigate some things that are horrendous and they are experiences that a lot of people have and, and I think adding to, you know, huge expectations on yourself about how you should be performing through all of that time is perhaps one of those other things that is important to reflect on as well. No doubt. I, I think for any anyone um, that aspires to you know, be the best they can or to uh, achieve the goals they set out in front of them, there's there's a definite level of, of drive and setting standards and meeting those standards. But Pip was awesome. And if I had said to her, I just need to take some time to do the things that I need to do rather than pretend that I can continue to be here at work and manage the family situation and then be there for my parents. Pip, I know, would have said, take the time that you need. And and if, if I had been a better communicator or I'd been more open to that, then I know Pip would have said, take the time that you need and do what you have to do. That would have been a pressure valve that would have been released, but definitely a, a learning that, again, I hope I bring forward and, and take with me as I work with my team and, indeed, as I face other challenges in my, my life down the track to, as you say, be, be a little easier on, on, on yourself mm. and 
be more open to acknowledging that there's always help there for you if you seek it. Now, later this year, you're launching a mental health alliance with a range of corporates. And I know that's in part been inspired by the experience that you had with your dad. Can you tell me more about that alliance and what you're seeking to achieve with it? The the mental health alliance will be, it's based on a similar alliance in the UK that was set up in 2013. And simply is a group of business leaders coming together to acknowledge this most important issue and to use their voice, their collective voice uh, as business to um, move the ball forward in the the quality of services that organisations provide as it relates to improving mental health and just providing psychologically safe workplaces. And so the Alliance for Australia uh, will bring together a number of uh, large Australian corporates to share credible practice, the things that we're doing that are working and Mm. to share openly with everyone. Um, so this this is not an alliance that's set up for our benefit. It's an alliance that we hope will be seen as uh, an organisation that, that is there for all. Uh, and then secondly, we, we want to, importantly, we want to be expert guided but, but business led. And we've been privileged to be joined by many of the leading organisations and thinkers in the mental health space here in Australia um, to help guide us in terms of the research that we should undertake and how we should then raise the bar in providing and creating the most psychologically safe workplaces that there are uh, going around. And what what are you doing at Microsoft um, to help your own employees through any mental health challenges that have come about, you know, during this time and will continue to come about in months to months and years to come? Yeah, I think we're like like Ernst Young and like lots of businesses. Janelle, we have a, a very comprehensive wellbeing program. Perhaps the most impactful thing, Janelle, and I'm sure this is true at Ernst Young, is increasing the frequency of the conversation. Mm. Uh, I think for decades, Australian uh, businesses, and for that matter, businesses around the world have been talking about and working on physical safety and wellbeing. Um, think, think about construction or mining companies, um, industrial firms. This has been on the agenda for literally decades. And yet uh, mental health as a separate but just as important, perhaps more important area has, hasn't had that, that type of focus. And we think, and obviously you know, through, again, some of the announcements we're seeing from government and the Productivity Commission report last year that talked about the $1.3 billion impact that mm. health has on our economy, I think there's a, there's a deep realisation across the community that mental health is a massive concern for all of us in business and in the community. And we, we think business has a role to play in coming together given how much time we all spend at work. The last three, three fast questions on change to finish the podcast. Now, finally, Steve, we like to ask each interviewee three fast questions, which are more on the lighthearted side. Um, so let's finish with those. Uh, what's a misconception that most people have about you? I like to think I have a great sense of humour, but um, <laughs> that everyone in my team disagrees. Okay. Well, that made me laugh, so that's probably ironic right there, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> uh, what about one guilty pleasure? Uh, that would have to be Pinot Noir. So, oh, um, we share that. We come into the winter months. The, the, there's more and more uh, Pinot Noir that seems to appear, so that is definitely a guilty pleasure. Nice one. And what's one thing that you're absolutely hopeless at? Well, there's a long list, but being a handyman would be uh, at the top of the list. So um, I have a, a family member who's involved in uh, works at a hospital, and apparently during the pandemic with more white-collar workers working from home, yeah. there's been a rapid increase in the number of injuries that... Um, <laughs> I have definitely seen some um, a heavy surfacing of incompetence in that front in my household as well, I must say. Indeed. So uh, I, I steer away from anything related to a hammer or a drill. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Steve. I, like, I can't thank you enough for your time. I, I 
just really struck by your candour and um, your honesty here. A few takeaways. I mean, look, I've got a list of takeaways here, but, you know, chief amongst them has been um, the power of technology's intersections with the world. And, you know, if you think about that coupled with the power of collectivism that you've talked about, that we really are on the precipice of new possibilities when we join systems and service providers and focus ourselves around business and societal problems. It's, um, you know, it's so exciting to think about what we could achieve together and that we have an utter responsibility around um, societal inequities, around reconciliation. And when we exhibit empathy to how different people are experiencing the world, how different people's circumstances mean that their responses will be different. When we understand that we can't just have one blunt instrument of communication to reach all and that we tailor that and we have that understanding Uh, that's when we can really move mountains here. You also talked about talent being a critical get right and that's fostered by deep and genuine connections, whether that's physical or in a digital sense. Um, So beautiful messages, Steve. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Thanks, Janelle. The Change Happens podcast from EY, a conversation on leading through change. Discover more where you get your podcasts.